Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our message today is from the epistle lesson. We hear again verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Well, Sven and Oli were in a religious discussion. They were trying to figure out which one knew their religion better. And Sven says to Oli, I don't think you know it very well. I bet you you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. And Oli says, I know the Lord's Prayer. And Sven goes, really? He says, yeah. Okay. Goes, so say it. So Oli starts out, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let thy gifts to us be blessed. Amen. And Sven looked at him and said, golly, I didn't think you knew it. <laughs> well, they got it mixed up, right? Obviously, that's not the Lord's Prayer. But the prayer that Sven said is one that's quite familiar to us in our circles, right? It's a common table prayer. And we don't know much about the history of it. We don't know who authored it. It first appears, I think, in like 1753 in a Moravian hymnal. But it gets a lot of use within our circles. And just like any other prayer, how often do we think about what we are praying? And I bring this up because really those first words of it, come Lord Jesus, come from our text today, right? Our Lord, or John prays that prayer in our text and so when we use that prayer, we're actually praying for Christ to come. But be careful what you wish for. What is it that, that you expect with the coming of our Lord? That's what we're going to look at today. As we look at this text, we're going to see what it is that we are actually praying for and what our Lord actually is going to do when he comes. But again, when we come to the text, this is the final chapter of the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation ends with a blessing. But just prior to that blessing, we have this prayer of John. Amen, come Lord Jesus. And this is a prayer that, that clearly we are encouraged to pray. As you, as you read through this section, isn't it not only John who prays that prayer, but he wants God's people to pray this prayer. We are called to pray, come Lord Jesus. And this prayer clings to a promise. Verse 12 we heard, behold I am coming soon. The Lord had made a promise. The angels made a promise when we heard the ascension, right? Just as you saw him go, you will see him come back. This is a promise we find throughout scriptures that our Lord is indeed returning. So when we pray, come Lord Jesus, we're actually calling upon God to keep his word. This is a great reminder of what prayer is. Prayer is actually clinging to the promises of God. When we pray, we are calling God to, to answer our prayer. We're really actually calling upon him to keep his word and promise. And isn't this a wonderful expression of faith in prayer? The only reason that we can pray is because when we have been invited to, the only reason we can ask for anything is God has made a promise. We can't very well ask of God anything he has not promised to give. But when we believe that God has promised, we can be bold enough to hold God accountable to say, you promised, Lord, give to us this. And that's what our prayers are. And that's what this prayer is. Come, Lord Jesus, you have promised to return. And so we are praying that, Lord, you would return. But we might think twice about that when we read elsewhere in this text when our Lord says, Behold, I am coming soon. Now listen to the next part. Bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. Sounds a little frightening, doesn't it? Recompense, repay, that's the idea of judgment. And so, again, notice, I'm going to repay everyone for what he has done. So I'm going to ask you today, what have you done? What is it that you have done in your lifetime? And what is it that we should be judging what we have done by? 
if we go a little bit further into the text, we see Jesus talks about those things that are outside the kingdom. This tells us what God is, is really judging against, right? And so it judges says that those outside the kingdom will be the immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and those who practice falsehood. Now you might be breathing a sigh of relief at this, because I doubt too many of you consider yourself a murderer or an idolater. But I'd like you to reconsider that in the light of what the scriptures talk about. Murder, idolatry, and immorality. Especially our Lord's words on these issues. If we think about this, that, that, that idea of someone who is immoral, well, we like to think of ourselves very moral, right? But when our Lord talks about our morality, he isn't talking just about our actions. He's talking about our words and our thoughts. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, anyone who, who looks upon a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in, her heart, in their heart. So, so think about your words, your thoughts. Are they pure? Are they clean? Have you refrained from anything that is not holy? All your jokes are, are really clean? All your thoughts are really clean? What about the next one? Murderer. Well, we can skip that one, right? Except for the fact that our Lord says, if you hate someone or call someone a fool, you're guilty of murder in your heart. Think about those people that frustrate you, that you might get angry with. What thoughts have you had? Ever called anyone a fool? That's kind of low on the scale, isn't it, actually, to what people call one another? We fail that one. What about an idolater? You know, our Lord, we are, tells us that he is to take preeminence in our life. When he says preeminence, he doesn't mean just first among many. Preeminence means that everything in your life revolves around your faith. That, that all the decisions that you make, the, the conduct that you have for yourself and your thoughts and, and your words to your neighbors and your family and your friends, that, that what you do and that what you decide is evidence of the faith that's in your heart. That, that your faith is to have preeminence. Does it? Is that always the guiding principle? You judge everything on what you do based on your relationship with the Lord. Or do you sometimes do it based on what you want? Or get caught up in what the world tells you to do? I'm not sure we've passed that one either. And then anyone who practices falsehood. But you've never lied, have you? Never said anything that wasn't quite true? Or, or you've never taken the truth and kind of reshaped it just a little bit to make it look a little bit more positive in your life? So you look a little bit better around the people. Because it's not just the falsehood that, that, that lying isn't considered. It's that what you're communicating. Are you, are you making sure that the person has the complete truth as, as an impression? Or do you try to make things look a little bit better for you and maybe a little worse for somebody else? So, so which of these have we really even passed? Idolater, liar, immoral. And if we are an idolater, if we are a liar, if we are immoral in the eyes of God... God has every right to bring his recompense to repay you and me for what we have done. So, should you pray, come Lord Jesus? Is that what you're asking? But there is hope, right? Why is it that we can pray, come Lord Jesus? Because in verse 17, the Lord speaks about his believers as, though blessed are those who wash their robes so that they have right, the right to the tree of life. 
The reason that you are not, in the eyes of God, immoral, a liar, uh, a sinner, is because as you believe in Christ and what he has done for you, those things are washed away. He doesn't see the lies. He doesn't see the evil thoughts. He doesn't hear the evil words that we might speak. It's, it's all washed away in the blood of Christ. And as we hear this revelation, it's baptismal language, is it not? That, that in our baptism, we're tied to what Christ has done. That, that image of washed in the blood of Christ is that we are washed in our baptism with what Christ has done. Our baptism unites us with Christ. And the blood that he spilled on the cross washes us clean. We are made holy. We are washed and we are pure. And so when the Lord looks upon you, he doesn't see someone who lies or someone who sins. He sees someone who is holy and righteous. In the eyes of God, you have been declared right before him. And so because of that, we can look forward to his return. We can indeed and, and should pray, come Lord Jesus. Because it's based on his sacrifice and he has given us the right, as it says here, to the tree of life, to the water of life. And it's again based on his resurrection. And again, go back to our baptism. Not only are we united with Christ in the death that he has given us, we are united with him in the resurrection that he has brought about. We have life in him. We are forgiven. We have eternal life. And we belong to him. And because he has done this, we look forward to his return. Because the one who's done this for us in the first coming is going to come back to bring us to the fullness of this in his return. And so it is right for us to pray, come Lord Jesus. Now, I just want to also talk about the idea then, okay, so we say we're to pray, come Lord Jesus. But why at a dinner table? How does this fit? But we can even see this in the text, right? Listen again to verse 17. And let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires the water of life without price. And then earlier he talked about that the tree in the garden that produced fruit of every season. The Lord, as he speaks about heaven and what's in store, speaks about the physical and the spiritual. This is the way it's been throughout Scripture. Revelation just, just is, the, is the, the cherry on the top to everything that Scripture's been teaching down through the centuries. And throughout the centuries, God speaks about, the, or ties together, the, the, this, this idea of hungering after God in His Word, thirsting after our Lord. He ties together the physical and the spiritual. There's something about our culture that wants to divide those out. But the one who is the source of life is the source of all life physical and spiritual. And so when we think about the physical gifts that we are given, the food that's placed on the table to sustain this life, we are to be reminded the same one who put that on the table for you is the same one who suffered, died, and rose so that you would live eternally. It's the same God. It's not a separate God, and we're not to view it in separate ways, that, that we're just to look to God as the one who gives all good gifts for our life. And so it is appropriate no matter what the table prayer is, to remember that, that as you have that meal, as you are gathered together with, with maybe family, maybe friends, maybe by yourself, that the Lord is present with you to give you that which you need each and every day. Doesn't that bring us back to the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. In this wonderful spiritual prayer, God also has us pray for the physical blessings. They're all tied together. And we are to always look to the Lord as the one who provides. And we're to receive all of his gifts, whether physical or spiritual, with thanksgiving. 
And to realize He is the source that we turn to. He's the source that we rely on. And He's the one and the only one we look to for that. As I close, there's one more thing that ties these two together. I'd like to think for a moment about our Lord when He talks about the coming kingdom. What do they picture it as? A holy banquet. And He's the host, right? And so when we pray, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. We're asking the one who is the host of the eternal banquet to be present with us now. And no matter what prayer we use to offer our thanks to God, whether it's common table prayer, whatever prayer you're comfortable, whatever prayer you like, we're doing the very same thing. We're giving thanks to God for the gifts that he has given us, and we're reminded that the Lord who loves us is going to host us for a banquet for all eternity. That we're welcoming the one who provides the tree of life. We're welcoming the one who provides the water of life. We're welcoming the one who provides everything we need for life. And we're asking him to bless us with his presence. Is that not always good? And is that not always appropriate? And so it's good for us to pray, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all human understanding guide our hearts and minds of true faith, life everlasting. Amen.